Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get in the game. With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? All right, welcome in episode two, Hardwood Handicappers. Fancy title, that'll come uh, as we go along here, JVT. John Von Tobel, Jacob Roach, alongside as well. Uh, we have a really good show on tap for you. At least I believe so, mainly because it was all my idea and I put it all together, right? Uh, Raheem Palmer, writer for the Action Network, is going to be with us. Uh, a good model guy as we discuss his top three disappointing teams, the three most impressive teams to him. A quick look at some, uh, some clubs to either fade or follow as we enter the second half. And then Andrew Greif, Clippers writer uh, for the LA Times, as we discuss at length. I think one of the more fascinating teams in the NBA, I know and Nick, our audio tech would disagree, but just from the standpoint of expectations, certain performances in, in big spots like we saw last Sunday against the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, where you come into that game thinking, hey, this defense is not as good as it should be, and they actually perform extremely well, but then their offense, which is best in the league, just completely takes a dump in the final four minutes. So they're a fascinating club. We'll have a lot on that uh, with Andrew coming up at the back end of this podcast. But I actually wanted to start and get again a little bit here on the soapbox, and maybe we should call this in the beginning of every show as I start on my soapbox and preach to all of you. But I think there's two teams in the NBA that kind of mirror one another to a certain extent because they're both teams that are relatively young, that have high upsides on offense, right? Like they, that have coming into this year expectations or had expectations, I should say, that I think were a little bit higher than where the rosters were realistically set. And we have seen them both fall flat on their face in terms of results and that would be the New Orleans Pelicans and the Atlanta Hawks. And I want to start with New Orleans because the Pelicans, to me, are fascinating for multiple reasons. One, because they have one of the most dynamic players in the NBA at this point who seems to be 12 years old in Zion Williamson. Um, an absolutely dynamic talent, gets to the rim, almost everything. Some of the heat charts, like, just go look at him in terms of what he does with shot attempts. It's insane that it's all just within the paint. But they're a fascinating team because they have this ceiling that is so high on offense, so high. And again, a team that, for the most part, lives inside the paint with their best player. And that's what's incredible about it, too. But they're so good at times offensively. 
The Utah Jazz, the second best defense in the league, and they're just beating them up inside. Rudy Gobert, Zion Williams is just going at him. It doesn't matter. I'm a thousand pounds heavier than you. I will move you while I am in the air, and I will score on you. They ultimately almost blow that game, right? Up 17 late. And they have to stave off Utah, who eventually closed it to one. And then you get performances like last night as well. Again, we're recording this on a Thursday for those of you who are uh, listening right now. And I'm sure you'll get this on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whenever you're taking it in. Remember, like, rate, review, subscribe. Always appreciate that. Always appreciate it. But they take on the Bulls yesterday. Defensive rating, 124.3. The Bulls just bully them inside, take 48% of their attempts within four feet, go 27 to 44, draw four shooting fouls. They blitz them in transition as well. Their offensive rating in transition, Chicago, 171.4. Like It was incredible what they were able to do just exploiting that. But this is why, with the New Orleans Pelicans, what makes them, I think, one of the more intriguing teams is the betting market can't get enough of them. It is almost every single night where you see the betting market move in the direction of the New Orleans Pelicans. And it's just something that I don't understand. And again, you know, you, some of this you, uh, you'll have, some of you will have the, high, the benefit of hindsight or whatever it is as you listen to this, because some of the results will be in by the time you listen to this recorded on Thursday. But like I wrote to, in today's game notes, uh, and I was, it was a little over the top in terms of the sarcasm, but I was like, hey, you know what? Maybe betters can feel comfortable laying points against New Orleans or, you know, against Miami because of, of the stars. But guess what? 7-11 and 11 straight up, 5-13 and 13 against the spread as a favorite this year, right? 2-9 and nine against the spread as a favorite at home in New Orleans. Like, all of these things, those are indicators that the market really overvalues this team. And what's, what's fascinating about it, Jacob, is you will usually see when a team continues to burn the betters, they will turn on them. Mm-hmm. The power rating with the market will shift. It'll get lowered. You'll see extreme flips one way or the other, but it just has not been the case for New Orleans. And look, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm preaching out there and giving away a secret because I do like to bet against them more often than not, but I don't see this changing anytime soon. But it, it, it goes to show you the power of perception, star power, and what it means to the betting market in terms of driving up the perception on this team, like the New Orleans Pelicans. Let me ask you something. Have you found this year the market has been off on more teams than usual. I feel like a lot of times when I listen to your analysis, like you're big on the Blazers, the market was not correct. Yeah. Pelicans, do you think that's a trend this year? It seems to be, but I'll say this. like, So in, in, ter- in terms of the Blazers, there was at least a, a realistic reason why the market was so down in Portland. Right? Mm-hmm. They lose C.J. McCollum. They lose Yusuf Nurkic. They don't have Zach Collins. And, and so there's the market saying, this is going to come to an end. This team is not that good. So you can kind of understand the market being slow to catch up and realize, ah, oh, you know what? Maybe this Portland team is a little bit better than you expect them to be. And by the way, guess what happened? They fell back down to earth. They get one win over Golden State last night. But to your point like that, that is, I think, an example of one where that's realistic. But I think more in terms of the market being wrong on teams or just like the market moves. We talked about this on the clubhouse the other day where it seemed like some of the moves in a certain direction on a night-to-night basis just weren't getting it right. Like the consistent moves against the Brooklyn Nets during their winning streak, right? The New York Knicks, who swing to be a pretty big, pretty decent favorite against the San Antonio Spurs on the road the other night, mm-hmm. and get taken to the woodshed in the second half. Like little things like that, I would say yes. Your observation, I would think for the most part is correct. The market has been a little odd, where there have been a lot of nights where I'm looking at it and I go, yeah, I don't really understand what's happening here. And more often than not. I end the night going, yeah, didn't really understand what happened there. You know what I mean? With the perception of some of these teams. Yeah, I I get that. Now, 
real quick, plug the clubhouse thing because you talked about it. When when do you do it? Because I think it's really interesting. Oh, uh, I don't know what it is. We, we do it. I think it's once a week. Uh, it is an app that you can go on. It's a social media app. It's audio based only. You can come in. It's essentially like a little powwow. We all sit around an imaginary table. We talk about things. Uh, I am made out to be much smarter than I really am. Uh, and then you ask me questions because I'm the star. That's what's happening right now, right? Right, right. And you want to know what I talk Well, yeah, <laughs> but we do that. I think it's going to be on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But, yes, that is Clubhouse. So you can come in and, and pick the brain of geniuses like myself. So going back to the Hawks uh, comparison with the Pelicans, do you think it's odd that the Pelicans dump Drew Holiday and you bring in Steven Adams? Like, what, what's, what's your thought there? Like, timeline age-wise, why would you get rid of, like, your defensive anchor, your team anchor, and then make that – Steven Adams trade and well, then extend him. Well, I think it's what you got back, though, for it, right? In terms of, like, the treasure trove of draft assets, things like that. The Pelicans have been pretty good at building up the draft assets. And when you have a young team, like a guy like Drew Holiday doesn't really fit your timeline. And I get it, Bledsoe doesn't. But I don't think they're building around Bledsoe, right, as they are with Zion, Lonzo, and all of these other guys. And I think that's probably why you do it. Drew has been a staple of your franchise. <laughs> you can get a good chunk back for him and everything you get back for him then goes towards adding to your team, whether it's packaging it all together and getting somebody, right, or something like that. But actually, I think Steven Adams works really well with what they want to do. It's clear because from an offensive standpoint, it's worked out extremely well. He's a great screen setter. It works out well along the perimeter. He hasn't really shown up in terms of the defensive end, but I think it's more about the pieces around him that are relatively poor. But I understood the move for sure. Okay. I just, I guess I would almost rather have Holiday than the assets. I think the assets are kind of overrated. Like, I, I, Well, that's because you're a Celtics guy. I, well, I thought your team was in the running for every single superstar ever because they had all those assets <laughs> and then they did nothing with them. Yeah, and then we're going to end up with uh, Jeremy Grant come deadline time. That's right. So don't you, at least you got the trading. I don't. I don't want to talk about that. That's. I don't, let's not go down there again. I would almost think I'd rather have Holiday's like leadership one more year than some of those assets with this team. But I, let me ask you this: They are what are they right now? Fifteen and twenty. Uh, Fifteen and twenty. Yeah. What are they with Drew Holiday? They are 17 and 17, 17, and 17, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? 17 and 19 or 18. I'm terrible at math, but you don't understand what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, I, but at the same time, like who, these guys aren't learning from the player right now. Like, I think that's kind of underrated. And we kind of see that with Chris Paul and Phoenix to the extreme, right? Like he, he's teaching these guys a lot of things beyond just leading that team. I think that's a piece that's underrated. Van Gundy's not a, he's not a development guy. He He's never been like, he's not a project guy. I think he's a bad hire and I just don't know who's like, guiding these young guys in the right direction. Look, Van Gundy has made some weird moves, but I think, you know, actually last night he had a really interesting quote. I don't know if you saw this. No. So Zion, you know, he was, uh, I think, 8 of 16 from the free throw line last night against Chicago. And so after the game, he goes out there and he's, you know, putting up free throws, you know, to practice, right? That's what you do. You go to the empty gym and you put up shots <laughs> after you lose. Uh, but Van Gundy actually, I, I thought, had a great quote. He, he goes, the, the media asks him about it. He goes, he starts it like this. He goes, look, I really like the accountability. Right? He's like, I think it's, it's refreshing to see a guy realize that the free throws were an issue today and to go out there and put those up and practice mm -hmm. right? and to take accountability for something like that. He's like, but, and I, I have said this to them, so I'm not saying anything behind their back. I wish they would get that upset about the defensive lapses. Mm -hmm. He's like, I wish, they, I wish a guy who would beat them off the dribble would upset them as much as they missed a three-point shot. And I think that's like a fascinating thing because like he is, if you've listened to some of the press conferences, Van Gundy has been all about like, I just, I, it's almost like the South Park episode. How do I get through to these kids? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he just can't wrap his head around them understanding defense should be a priority because you have the seventh best offense right now. And yet you have a negative two net rating because your defense is that bad. 
Like, that's that's a problem for them. And I just wonder from that standpoint, like, if they're ever going to get it and what he's going to do. Look, I think slowing them down was, a, was I think, a, a mistake. He's king, he came in, he slowed them yeah. down, made them half-court oriented. <laughs> I didn't really understand that. Right? But at the same time, everything else, those issues were there. Last year, they were a poor defensive team. Right? Last year, along the perimeter, they were relatively below average. And those issues are still there. And I just wonder if maybe it's a personnel thing. Right? Guys like Ingram. And Zion Williamson is relatively poor at times defensively. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to change. It's weird. They have like the perfect body types for defense. Like Lonzo should be Lonzo should be an all Lonzo's great. He should be an all defensive guy coming up. Like once he really sparks Ingram's so long, he should be able to become a respectable defender. And Zion size alone, Zion has thirty pounds on Rudy Gobert. Like I, that's insane. Yeah, he's got like forty. He's but, the uh, other death. Was, 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 was it JJ Redick? JJ Redick accidentally outed Zion. I, I don't know if you saw this like a month ago. He was quoted, and he accidentally let it slip that Zion was like 320 pounds. I know he, he's listed at like 280. I think. Do you actually think he's 320? I don't know if he's 320, like, but I think he's 300. That's that should be a bigger concern than I think. I don't think so. He's worked out really well for him. Well, year two though, longevity, knees. I mean, we could. That's a bit. Yeah, obviously, yeah, but his like, knees are also. There was a really there was a really good study about him. A really good piece by the Ringer uh, when he was coming out in the draft. That uh, he has some sort of symptom where his knees almost bend, bend a little he's, inward. He's got a weird gait. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's part of it is regardless, we're getting down the Zion hole. But like to your point, as we, as we discuss the Pelicans, to me the takeaway is as we discuss them from the sports betting perspective, and as we have looked at them overall and what you expect in the second half, because in the second half um, to surpass this win total that they're going to, you know, uh, would think a lot of people have an over on. They need to go twenty-two and fifteen in the second half. And that's just to get a half win over, right? Mm -hmm. Win total was 36 and a half to get to 37 wins. They need to go 22 and 15, a team that right now is 15 and 20. I Seems guess like a big ask. It's a big ask. I guess, like, I wouldn't be completely shocked because it seems like they're getting a little momentum better not, despite gotta, last night's win. Gotta, uh, last night's loss, sorry. but under on them, so they better not. <laughs> but I, I do think it's a, that's a tough ask for a team without a leader. And, and really quickly, before we get to, what are we calling this? What's our thing we're doing every week? Mid-season misses. Mid-season misses. Those are good. We'll get through those. Um, really quickly, though, the Atlanta Hawks, I just want to say that the Lloyd Pierce situation, like, look, he's fired. A report comes out from The Athletic a couple of days later that, you know, Trey Young, John Collins weren't really seeing eye to eye to him. They didn't really like him. That's fine. And, you know, I, I don't think he deserved to be fired, but I think the expectations for this Hawks team were mistaken. I think there was inherent flaws with the roster, and I think we kind of saw that as we started the season. Projected to be one of the worst defensive teams in the league, and they are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Troy Young, uh, as of, and I checked this on Wednesday, out of the 488 qualified players in real plus minus, he is 477th in defensive real plus minus. So a step up from last year, which he was dead last. <laughs> um, but there's there's flaws all around. And by the way, half of the best players that they acquired in the offseason haven't even been available. Bogdan Bogdanovich finally came back the other day. Looked actually pretty good. Yeah. It's a really good piece for them. Solid defender. They'd probably be better with him, and I think maybe that's a little bit more of a sweat if they're fully healthy the entire way, as I have watched them at the peak of their power sometimes mm -hmm. look a little bit better. Case in point, those Brooklyn Nets series that they were playing with yeah. them at the beginning of the year. But uh, regardless, that's it on Lloyd Pierce. Uh, but I do think that the Pelicans and Hawks, uh, besides being bird mascots, uh, do have a weird uh, mirroring of one another, at least in terms of young teams uh, with high expectations, but still not meeting those expectations, and I think rightfully so. All right, what do we got? Last couple of minutes here. Mid-season Mid misses. misses. All right. Um, All right. You want to go? Uh, let me take the floor first because we're going to talk about this a little bit later with Raheem Palmer. Phoenix Suns are my midseason miss. I thought they were going to be like a seven seed. I didn't play their under on their win total. 
uh, but it was one that I, I kind of wanted to. It's a team that I did not expect to be this good defensively. I had projected them to be about 16th defensively in that range, right, a below-average defense. Uh, they are not. You know, I was, just, I was showing you some of the numbers um, on the screen in terms of on-court, off-court. When, De when, when Devin Booker leaves the floor, all of a sudden their defensive rating goes like 98. It's absolutely insane. Uh, and I continue to find my spots to bet against him, and I continue to get hit by this train that is the Phoenix Suns. So in this second half, you know, in this break, I am going to really kind of ratchet in the study of them and look at them and see what I am missing because part of me is stubborn. Like even the Lakers game the other night where I lay mm -hmm. one and a half with the Lakers and then like 30 minutes before, Marcus saw health and safety protocol. They couldn't <laughs> handle DeAndre Ayton in that game whatsoever. It was a really big deal for him. LeBron kept going at him, trying to get him in foul trouble. It wasn't really working out. Kyle Kuzma is a late scratch. If you look at their schedule, like if you look at just overall what they have done, they, maybe I'm just nitpicking because I don't like them, right? Perfectly willing to be completely mm -hmm. wrong. But there's so many instances where you can look at it and you're like, God, that's freaking good. You know what I mean? Their <laughs> yeah. schedule is relatively soft. They're playing bad offenses. They're playing bad defenses. Some of the better teams, right? They're down by 13 to Milwaukee in the third quarter mm -hmm. at home. They, the Bucks blow that. You blow a big lead to Brooklyn and James Harden. Like, yeah. I think there's signs there that they're not this good. But the numbers say everything else. So uh, that is definitely my big midseason miss. What do you think about them to win their division at 5-1? to one? No. No, you don't like that? I still think the Lakers and the Clippers okay. are going to. There, there is this thing with the Clippers that people keep talking about load management. It's just not the case. Like, Kawhi Leonard's missed games with actual injuries. It's the same thing with Paul George. Uh, but, you know, if you talk to anybody, it'll be like, Kawhi misses games all the time. He has missed games this year, but it's been because of health. But I would say that at the end of the day, I think it's a little bit tough. But, again, you're taking this from the guy who doesn't think that the Suns are that good. So. Uh, the load management thing with Kawhi has leg problems. Like, yeah. like he needs to do it. It's just like he has leg problems. My, I think my biggest team miss is the Nuggets. I just, I had them winning the West coming in. Oh boy! And I, 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 looking back, I was an idiot, right? Like you laughed at my Pacers prognostication. Well, I laughed because I have a Sabonis MVP ticket. Okay. <laughs> That's why I laughed because I, I was drinking the juice for a couple of weeks. I, I don't know why I thought Michael Porter Jr. was going to take this big jump without an offseason. Like I, I underrated that going into like how important the offseason is to the young guys. I saw Malone hates him so. Yeah, that, that's, like, still going on, which is <laughs> hilarious. And I thought R.J. Hampton was going to be important. That was dumb. I don't know if he's played. Has yeah. he played? Like he, he's played a couple games yeah. now. And then I didn't realize how important, like, Jeremy Grant's just size and just his availability as a body, I think, was the most important thing about him. And I just – that totally went over my head. And I don't know – I just – yeah, I lost that stuff. I, I would say that you're, the door's still open for Denver. They've been unhealthy again. Um, you know, Gary Harris, I think, is – He's not as good offensively. He's really fallen off of a cliff mm -hmm. in terms of his scoring. But defensively, he's still a really solid piece. And what that means for along the perimeter, you you're, you can at least lean a little bit on the crutch of availability for some of these guys. Paul Millsap has been injured too. So we'll see. But I, I, I can understand at least, you know, I picked them to be the one seed in our guide. Yeah. But it was more of, I don't think any of these teams are going to give a rip, and they will. And they'll potentially get a lot of these wins. And sure enough, it's the Jazz, who, by the way, Aaron Renning, I will repeat one more time, had <laughs> as the number one overall seed. Um. Second midseason miss. I will give you the floor for your second one. What is it? Uh, I just did a really bad job with uh, betting the NBA awards. Last week I was talking about Randall. I was going to make that Randall a most improved play. He didn't? I, he moved before I could do it. What are you doing? I got him at 22 to 1 like two days later. I, I, where I was going to bet him, he was 12 and now he's 7. Wow, what are you I doing? missed it. I was toying with LeBron at 10 to 1 like a couple weeks in. Mm -hmm. And then he, I missed it by a day. And then Simmons two weeks ago, I was... Telling Danny Burke of Rush Hour, I was like, dude, Ben Simmons, Pinch Player of the Year, really good value here, six to one, five to one. I was gonna try to make that play this week. He is two to one now. What so, are you doing? 
I've done a terrible job with it. Well, That's... I mean, look, the rest of them I can understand. You talked about we talked about Randall last week. It's a whole it's a whole thing. Two days it. later, I bet it. Well, the next day where I was going to twenty two to one. The next day where I was going to bet it twelve to one. What I had available to me twenty two to one to bet MGM. Another midseason miss that I have, and there is quite a couple. You know, prior to contrary belief, you know, I am uh, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect. But I will say, I think it is um, the Indiana Pacers. You know, I, I did, I was, when they went on that trip early on in the season where they beat the, I shouldn't say beat the crap out of, uh, but they held down. Remember, it was a full-strength Portland Trailblazers team at that mm-hmm. time uh, early on. It was all the way back. Let me get the date of this Portland game. January 14th. They win 111-87. to 87. They improved to 8-4. and four, And you're like, ah, this is it. This is looking pretty good. Yeah. Like, this is a team that I think is sound defensively, that offensively can handle some of the good teams, or excuse me, some of the lesser defenses, I should say, in the NBA. They get a game postponed against Phoenix, and then on a Sunday, I remember this clear as day because we were doing opening lines with Wes Reynolds, and they're taking on the Clippers, and the Clippers just house them. <laughs> it's 129-96. to 96. They just get destroyed. And remember, going into that game, they were 8-4, and four, and they're now 16-18. and 18. Wow. So 8-14 and 14 since, that, since that win over Portland. Like, it has not been good. Uh, this team, from an offensive standpoint, is not good at all. It takes a majority of attempts within four feet of the mm-hmm. basket, uh, but they are very inefficient. So I, I got a ticket that I am, again, it's digital, but I'm going to burn it up. The 34-1 to to win the Eastern Conference. No, sorry. You know, and I didn't even think they could realistically win it. I thought it was going to be a get-to-the-Eastern-Conference yeah, yeah. type deal and then Edge. hedge off of it, but all done. I left, I left them out of the playoffs, and that's I got the Sabonis yeah. ticket during the hot streak because I felt like an idiot because I didn't think they were going to be good. And then, Jason. And now I'm feeling great. Jason. Can't do it. Chasing my takes. Uh, we have a great couple of guests coming up, uh, so stick around for that and make sure, of course, uh, when you are liking, rating, reviewing, subscribing to the podcast, you can also hit us up on social media and uh, send in any suggestions, comments, concerns, questions, I guess, but a lot of you uh, are smarter than me. This is the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. Interact with the show on Twitter at me, JVT, at Roach underscore 97, and at VSIN Live. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow.
All right, let's welcome in our first guest of the day. Raheem Palmer's with us, writer for the Action Network. Uh, does a lot of great work in the NBA. Also, as he notes uh, up on his Twitter page, um, NBA, NFL, and boxing prognosticator. So, Raheem, uh, welcome in. I appreciate you coming on and giving us some time. Uh, I will start with this. So, I am a, I'm a small closet MMA nerd. I, I enjoy mixed martial arts. I also like to poke the beast that is, and I don't even know if it's a beast anymore. Uh, boxing is dead. So, if I say boxing is dead to you, what do you say? I kind of agree. Yeah, Outside okay. of, you know, the big events, I, like, it's just, it's, we're in a rough spot. Um, I grew up on boxing. You know, I love it. But, you know, it's just not much there. And especially with the big fighters, they're refusing to fight each other. Like, we all want to see Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence. And the politics of the game have just ruined it. So. Yeah. I would uh, I would say that every time I hear there's a big boxing match, I check the odds. And uh, the favorite is, like, like a $10 favorite. And I'm like, oh, this is a really big boxing match, huh? <laughs> I guess that's the state <laughs> of the sport. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the NBA. First off, uh, let's uh, give a little background uh, on you uh, and your work as well. For those who are listening right now, uh, Raheem and I actually connected. We're recording on Thursday. Just yesterday, he was part of our, what is that called? Clubhouse? Clubhouse uh, conversation on the NBA. Uh, but Raheem, uh, I actually I was talking to Drew Dinsick about this yesterday, or yesterday, uh, last week on our podcast. I think it's so hard to find people who are willing to handicap and talk to the NBA uh, on an intricate level on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I think it's a breath of fresh air to find people who are willing to do it on a night-to-night -night basis in the association. So welcome in, but give your background on you and how you got started in the NBA in terms of handicapping and following it. Well, I mean, I initially got started in, you know, betting and handicapping. Um, when Delaware Park, they allowed the parlay betting back in 2009, I was primarily, you know, playing parlays and, at some point, I got a local bookie. You know, I was playing offshore. Um, obviously, NFL and NBA are my favorite sports. So I moved on to NBA, um, and I just started betting it. Um, and at one point, you know, I started taking it really seriously. Um, I remember, um, I think the, the turning point with, for me was I had a futures bet on the Miami Heat um, to win the NBA title. And I actually went to the game, um, game six, the, the day when um, – Ray Allen hit mm -hmm. the, the three. Wow. <laughs> and, and I actually saw people leaving the arena. And I was like, you know what, man? I got my futures bet. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to get my money's worth. And the ushers were actually telling people, hey, we'll see you next year. I'm like, look, I'm, I believe in this. We're, we're going to hit this. Ray Allen hits the three. Um, the bet ends up winning. And then at some point, you know, I ended up taking it more and more seriously. Um, I started building my own numbers. Um, and... You know, here we are at some point last summer. I was looking for an opportunity because, you know, for, for most of my life, I was a DJ. I was a DJ. Um, I actually worked at, um, for Jay-Z, worked at Rock Nation at one point. And during the, the, the pandemic, I was kind of like looking for an opportunity because I had been betting, you know, just full time. But I was looking for something to where I could like share my views with the world. Um, and, you know, Action Network, they, they provided the opportunity to, you know, share my views and, now I can put myself out there as opposed to just kind of betting, you know, locally and offshore and nobody know who I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, nobody knows who any of us are. Right. So I think that's more important. And the important part is, you know, the smartest people are the low key people. And uh, that is why Jacob over here is a, is a genius in terms of the NBA. But nobody knows who he is. Um, so let's start here. Uh, second half pretty much or first half pretty much in, in the books. Uh, as we look ahead to the second half, I wanted to go over some of your, you know, your top three teams that kind of surprised you through the first half, bottom three teams that disappointed you. Uh, so let's start with the negative, and we'll end on the high note here. Uh, give me one of your three teams that disappointed you in the first half of the NBA season and why. 
I'm going to go with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, for me, the Dallas Mavericks were easily one of the most disappointing teams. You know, they finished 43 and 32 last season. They had a Pythagorean expectation of 49 and 26. Um, they had the best offensive in NBA history last year. Um, and when I looked at them coming into this year, I looked at the fact that they were 17 and, 4, and 24 in the clutch. And they were just blowing so many games that they sh- I thought they should have won. And they got the addition of Josh Richardson, Wes Wandu, James Johnson. I thought the defense would be better. Um, and I thought the off I think I thought the offense would I didn't think they would be as great as they were last year, but I thought the defense would, you know, have such an improvement that, you know, they they start off the season a lot better. And, you know, Lucas came into the season. He had a slow start to the year. The offense wasn't really great. The defense really hasn't improved. So I mean, that's by far the most disappointing team for me. So when we look at this, when you're talking about the disappointing start, how much do you put on Luca and how he came into the season? Because I think he did come in a lot of shape. Uh, he, I think it was the first, what, 12 games or so, he's shooting under 30%. When you're looking at it from the perspective of, I guess you can call it blame, how much do you put on Luca to this start? Because now he has played a lot better. The three-point shooting has really come around. But when I watched this team, you know, I saw a lot of, Petulant is strong, but I saw a very young Luka Doncic who looked a little bit, a little more immature and was a little out of shape, who kind of thought that potentially the game was going to come a little bit easier in the second year after a record-setting season, which you mentioned. Uh, they had the best offensive efficiency in the NBA that we've ever seen for a year. Yeah, I, I put a lot of it on Luka, but I think one of the things that I had to realize is the bubble was really hard on a lot of teams. Yep. So, I mean, I know he didn't make the Western Conference Finals, but to make the Western conference semifinals um and then have to turn back right back around it's not fair to to expect everyone to respond in the same way that lebron james and the lakers did when you look at the four western conference finalist teams everybody struggled except for the lakers like i mean so it's tough to you know expect him to just really respond and i think that's a big part of it so as we look ahead for Dallas, what are your expectations? Because I think one of the things that is not going to change, they might get a little bit better uh, defensively, but I think that's going to be their issue, right? For the rest of the year defensively, I think they're going to be a relatively poor team. I think the Josh Richardson experiment didn't really work out like they had thought, right? I think the swap, Josh Richardson, Seth Curry, it seems to be working a little bit better for Philly. I know you're a 76ers guy. Um, what do you make of them going forward here into the second half and, and maybe how you handle them uh, from a betting perspective? Will they be overvalued, undervalued? and what the market makes them, because at the first half of the year, they've definitely been an overvalued team. I think they're going to, I mean, I, I'm seeing, like, I think Luke has come around, yep. and the offense has, you know, really improved. They won nine out of the last 11 games. They have the fifth easiest schedule after the All-Star break. So I think they're a team that I actually want to play on um, coming into the second half of the year. Like, I, I think, you know, they're just going to be a primarily offensive team, and you could win in this league on a nightly basis if your offense is performing. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing with them, too. And you know what? I, I went with this angle, and we're not going to get it in the second half. You know, going through a lot of these second half schedules, uh, they're brutal. You know, a lot of these teams are going through. I think the Hawks, uh, the one that – and I haven't gotten through all the teams. Hawks have, I think, four uh, situations where they're going to be playing their fifth game in eight nights in the second half. they got eight back-to-backs. It's going to be nuts. Um, but in terms of playing them, I, I, I kind of came around to that idea, Raheem. Remember when they had last week that issue with weather and they couldn't play? They couldn't play. And so they practiced. They actually got really a lot of extra practices. And Rick Carlisle was talking about, hey, you know, they were really, as he called them, quote, full-bore practices. They come out. They beat the crap out of the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, they beat Boston on that ridiculous step back from Luka Doncic. 
they're starting to look a little bit better in that regard. And that's when I came around to, you know what, like maybe this team, because the market is so down on them, this is the point to start playing them. And into the second half, if the schedule breaks a, a little bit easier for them, this could be a spot where not every day, uh, but a team that is definitely worth following with your money from a night-to-night basis, given the situation. Oh yeah, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, I, I, I perfectly, I agree. You know, I just, I just think, you know, so much of the NBA is just, you know, star power. And if your star can carry you, um, like we, like we've seen Lucas do, I, I think they're going to be a team that I definitely want to play on in the second half. All right, so that's one of your disappointing teams. Give me another. What's your second disappointing team of the first half so far? My second disappointing team is, is, is by far the Nuggets. Um, okay. But I think, I mean, I think when you look at these teams, I mean, obviously, we didn't know what the impact of the bubble was going to be. Mm. Um, and it's it's pretty clear that it's just had an impact on, on these teams. Um, obviously, they've had a lot of injuries. So it's just like, I mean, I just didn't expect it. And, I, and then also, I think they've just had some bad luck. I mean... When you look at their record at twenty and fifteen, but they have an expected win per percentage of um, um win loss of twenty three and twelve. So I just I mean, especially with the season that Jokic is having, like Jokic is having an MVP year. Um, he's twenty seven, eleven, and eight, but you know he just hasn't had the guys around him. You know Murray has been really inconsistent. He's been banged up. Harris has been out of the lineup. Barton's been out of the lineup. Mills has been like. They, the, the whole team has just been injured. So I think they're going to be one of the teams that I'm looking to play on forward, but they've definitely been disappointing for me. Yeah, you know, that, I think that's really that's fair, and it's an interesting selection because I think a lot of people would think, well, you know, injuries, uh, they're still above 500. Why would they be disappointing? But I, I'm with you. You know, if you look at them statistically and where they're at right now, at least in terms of their defense, especially along the perimeter at times, uh, which has been relatively poor, and look, they're fifth in terms of efficiency offensively. They're seventh in net rating on cleaning the glass. But from a defensive standpoint, 18th is just not going to cut it. And there's been times where they've looked worse. And look, you know, you mentioned some of the injuries. Gary Harris, Paul Mills, Sapas, two of the bigger names that have been out recently. Will Barton missed like two or three games with personal issues. But like to me, I don't know if I know Raheem, if I call them disappointing as much as I call them confusing. Because like they had a stretch in early January where they were ripping off wins left and right. Their defensive rating was great, and it culminated with a win over Utah at home where they blew them out on a hot shooting day. And, and since then, they have been a 500 team that I just can't figure out what the issue is outside of a, a perimeter defense that has been shaky, even when they are fully healthy. Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt, it's just it's, – it's been frustrating. Because, I mean, I've actually played on them some nights, mm -hmm. and, you know, they, they've blown some leads. Like, it's – I've just kind of had to back away from them. <laughs> yep, completely understand. All right, so the Denver Nuggets, uh, your second most disappointing team, uh, would agree there. And the Denver Nuggets, too, as you look ahead to their uh, – a lot of these teams, man, if you look at some of the win totals and where they're going to be at in the second half, the second half is going to be incredible uh, to keep track of where these teams are at because so many of them are going to be hovering right around what that win total is going to be, and the Denver Nuggets uh, are no exception. All right, third most disappointing team as we uh, begin in a negative fashion, but we end on a high note. What is your third most disappointing team? Um, this could probably be the first, but I named them third, but I, I'm going to go with the Indiana Pacers. Dude, um, okay, preach, because, <laughs> dude, I, I wrote about them in our magazine uh, at the beginning of the year. It was like my third column of the year, and I was like, look, man, Bjorkman, it looks like they're going to be good. They had a West Coast trip where they had performed extremely well. I thought that Bjorkman was going to put them into the next level in terms of the way they play, right? More threes, more at the rim, less mid-range shots, 
and they I, I have come off of I have a small bet on them 34 to 1 to win the Eastern Conference uh, I'm just I am tempted it's digital uh, but to tear it up and just say it's fine like it, this is a loser so yes wax poetic on this because I yeah, am you might want to get the I don't know if you have the cash out option yeah, available right. but that might be the thing because I mean we all thought that the change from Nate McMillan to Bjorken would, you know, increase this offense with the faster pace, more threes. They're 17th in offensive efficiency. Yep. Um, you know, Miles Miles Turner, he looked like a defensive um, candidate of the year um, player, to, but it's just it just hasn't come together for this team. They traded Oladipo. Um, we're looking at Karis LeVert coming in, but I mean, we don't know the status of him right now. It's just this. This offense has just been so disappointing for me, and it's just like I, I can't. And the, the 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 most disappointing thing is the market seems to be high on them night in and night out. Yep, <laughs> it, dude, it, it just did. You can't figure it out. Like if you look at some of the games in which like we're talking about here, you know, and to me it really started like I would say like a week and a half ago they were playing the Bulls and they were like a five and a half point favorite. We're talking about you know again we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, last night they closed six and a half against Cleveland. They're turning the whole way. They barely win by three. Right, Philadelphia, they're only catching four against the 76ers, get blown out in that game. Uh, the fact that they opened as a favorite on the road against the Knicks, uh, the Celtics game, which was a really good bounce-back spot to play on with the Celtics, they just last four. So to your point, that's something that I haven't really understood, is that, and there's a lot of teams that can fall under this umbrella, but them specifically, the betting market and the power rating of the market seems so high on Indiana, and the results continue to go in the other direction. Yeah, I mean, even the other night against the Knicks, they were up. I think it was up 98, 92 mm-hmm. with about three minutes to go. And they just they just pretty much didn't score <laughs> for the rest of the game. So it was just like it's just one of those things that where I can't figure out this team. So and this is this is my theory on this. And, and you know, I've watched them a little bit, and of course I am no coach, but you you have the numbers in front of us, and you mentioned it, right? Like one of the issues with the Pacers the last few years, uh, from 2013, 2014 to 2019, 2020, they have ranked within the top ten in terms of mid-range frequency. They just loved, loved to take mid-range shots. Um, This year, they're 29th, which is really good. But instead of taking steps back, like literally, like in terms of taking a step back and not taking so many mid-range shots, they're all coming within four feet of the basket. Like, we get it. Shots at the rim are some of the most efficient. But you should also mix in some three-point attempts. They're 20th. Raheem, in terms of frequency of three-point attempts, like they're not even taking that many more three-pointers. Everything else in terms of the change in shot attempts are going at the rim. Like that's a little too extreme. Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. And I mean, I just, you know, they got guys like Lamb. They got guys like Holiday who can actually shoot the three and they're just not taking them. And I, like, I I really don't understand it. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And the most damning part about it, as I mentioned with their frequency of attempts, first in the league right now, according to Cleaning the Glass, they take 43% of their attempts within four feet of the basket, but they are 24th in shooting. So they're a high-volume rim shooting team, and yet uh, they are not an efficient team at all, 60.4% in terms of the shooting. So your three disappointing teams, I would definitely agree with Indiana, a team that I thought coming into this year, I had actually at one point, I, I will admit this, I will wear this uh, on my on my sleeve, but Raheem, I had dubbed the Indiana Pacers at one point potentially this year's Miami Heat. You aren't the only one. I mean, there's, I have some coworkers at the, um, the Action Network who agreed with you. I had, I mean, I one of my coworkers actually took them to win the Easter Conference, and you know, I thought he was a little crazy, but you're not the only one. So, <laughs> Jake, Jacob, the producer, laughs at uh, at that. You know, at least I'm willing to, uh, at least I'm willing to admit to it. You also told me, Jacob, one day in a text that uh, 
Milwaukee would have some trouble protecting the rim in their fifth right now in rim defense. So, uh, we'll, uh, but we'll ignore that. We'll ignore that. All right, so the three most disappointing teams, uh, Raheem, again, Raheem Palmer's with us, uh, writer for the Action Network, uh, covers the NBA and a lot of other stuff as well. Uh, worth a follow uh, on Twitter. I I'm going to butcher it because I know people, of course, have ways in which their Twitter handle is set up. So give us the Twitter handle, Raheem. Okay, it's DJ. R-T-O-D-A-I-Z-Z-A. That's D-J-R to the Izzy. So I'm sure you guys heard the song H to the Izzo, V to yeah. the Izzy. I was, um, I was a DJ before I was a handicapper. So <laughs> I, I like it. Well, and that's why I wanted you to set it up because I knew that there was a, a reasoning behind it and I wasn't just going to spell it out and not give it the pizzazz that it uh, definitely deserved. All right. Let's continue on. Three most surprising teams for you in the first half of the NBA season. I'll let you order them however you want. What's your first team? Oh, by far the New York Knicks. Um, the New York Knicks is just, I mean, for this team to be actually relevant is, you know, one of the more shocking things that I've I've, I've seen in a long time. I mean, Julius Randle is, you know, he's, he's on the path to being the most improved player. You know, Thibodeau has this team playing defense. And the thing about this team is that they can't score. They're just 23rd in offensive efficiency. Um, now, obviously... You know, they've gotten some really good luck in terms of, you know, shooting. <laughs> I think teams are playing the Knicks are only shooting 33% from three. And they're giving up, you know, one of the highest frequencies. I think they're giving up the fifth highest frequency of three-point field goal attempts at 39%. So it's like they're getting lucky. But the fact that, you know, they're 18 and 18, they have, they have like, solid wins. Like, they've beaten, you know, the Celtics. They've beaten the Pacers. They've, they're not just – they're 5 and 8 against teams – at and above 500. So I have to give them some credit, although they're, they've been fortunate. So that's the number one surprising team for me. Yep, and this was a subject of my column this week in Point Spread Weekly, and we talked a little bit about it last week on the Handicap, uh, Hardwood Handicappers podcast as well. Uh, to your point, the New York Knicks are fifth most in terms of frequency of wide-open attempts allowed this year. <laughs> Six feet or more defender or farther away. Uh, and yet... Right now, giving up just 37.6% on those shots, which would be first. So the fifth most wide-open looks they're allowing, but they are first in terms of opponent shooting. I would assume, I'm not a big numbers guy, that there's going to be some regression on those types of attempts in the second half. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> so, so what do you expect? Like, I have kind of slugged them. There's a few teams that, you know, uh, whether they're going to be bet on or bet against. One of the bet on teams that I had was the Toronto Raptors, but COVID has, you know, ripped them apart. We'll see what's going to happen there. Uh, but one of the bet against teams for me was going to be New York. You know, they've been a really solid story. Uh, everything you've said is absolutely true. But those numbers right there paint a picture of me that is unsustainable. And I think in the second half, when you start looking at their schedule, when you realize they take on Brooklyn, Philly, I think it's Philly twice, um, Milwaukee within just the first six games, you're going to think, I think at least, get some shortened up power ratings on New York because they performed so well in the first half. They're one of the best defensive teams when in reality, they've gotten a little lucky and those types of teams should be able to take advantage of them. But I have them slugged as a bet against team. Is that too extreme potentially? Or do you think that's fair? Oh, Not at all. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to be betting against them as well. I mean, they have the seventh toughest schedule in the league. I mean, you just named, you know, their schedule coming out the gate. Now maybe they'll, you know, they got Milwaukee, they got Oklahoma. Even Oklahoma City is a game, is a team that can beat them because Oklahoma City is taking a high frequency of three-point um, field goals as well. So it's just like they can they can realistically come out the gate and lose four in a row. Yep. <laughs> so it's just like I think they're a, a good – they're a cute story. They're playing a, a, a playing candidate. But um, I think the, one of the things that you have to worry about when it comes to the Knicks is 
you know, they're always capable of making a win now move. Yep. Yeah, and, well, and I think Windhorst <laughs> so, had it on his last podcast that he expected a superstar to demand a trade to New York within the next six months. Uh, so we'll see who that is. We have heard superstar in New York, you know, together in the same sentence, but it hasn't really worked out. But to your point, it would be interesting because the culture seems to have shifted, right? Like the front office seems competent. They have a very solid head coach in Tom Thibodeau. Like there are the seeds there now actually for the Knicks to become the Knicks yet again, you know? Yeah, but I, you know, I'm, I'm always worried because, I mean, we saw Thibodeau in Minnesota, yep. and he made a lot of win-now win moves. And, of course, you have a guy like Oladipo who's probably going to get traded, and that would be like the quintessential Knicks move to trade for Oladipo, who really hasn't been the same in two years at this point. Yep. All right, first most surprising team, second most surprising team of the first half for him, Palmer, is? I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. Now, yeah. I think, you know, they had some high expectations coming into this year. They were 8-0 in the bubble. I I, I, I always like this roster. I mean, you you, you got Wings and Macau Bridges, um, Villanova. You got Jay Crowder. You got, um, got, um, got Cam. Like, so it's just like I look at this roster, and it's a great roster. But I don't think anybody could have reasonably expected where they are now. You know, they're top 10 in offense and defense. They're um, – Offensive rating 115 points per 100 possessions. Defensive rating 109.4. So, I mean, and that rating is third in the league. Um, they're 15 and three over the last eight games. They're 12 and five against teams at and above 500. They've beaten the Bucks, the Jazz, the Lakers. I know AD, with no AD in the roster, but I mean, I don't think anybody could have reasonably expected this team to be second in the West. Um, you know, and they've well over perform expectations for me. So let, let me ask you, because I'm there as well. Uh, I even, I talked about this the other day and it was a little disappointing because I, I thought the spot to play against them was going to be with the Lakers, but then you get the last minute scratch of Marcus Gasol, Kyle Kuzma doesn't play. You don't really get the full, you know, the, at least at this point right now, the full-ish roster of the Lakers. Like I'm, I'm kind of active, like I'm stubborn with the Suns because they would be one of my most surprising teams as well. In fact, I didn't think they were even going to be that good. I thought they were going to be fighting for a play-in or a play-in spot. So I'll ask you this. What did you expect from them defensively? Because that's been my biggest thing. I didn't think that they were going to be this good defensively. You looked at the personnel, you know, across the board. There were relatively poor defenders on this roster, and yet here we are, as you mentioned, some of the defensive numbers. Like, from a defensive standpoint, to me, it's mind-boggling how good they are. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, I just, you know, a couple of games in, I kind of realized that they have the wings to actually defend teams. Yep. So it's just like it didn't take me long to really adjust my expectations of them. But it's just coming into the year, I just didn't expect it. I mean, to me, Mikhail Bridges is going to get paid this summer um, or whenever his contract is, is coming up because you have a guy who can just, you know, he can hit the three, he can defend. I think Drake, Jay Crowder has just been huge for this team. I just, you know, I think Monty Williams is probably should be one of the coach of the year um candidates who's just not really getting enough credit for, you know, having this team defend. Yep. And it's funny, too, when you look at some of the numbers early, actually, when Booker and Paul were playing together, uh, they had a negative net rating, and then that's really evened out. And right now, when they're on the floor together, um, they have a positive net rating. It's like plus 4.1. But even in those minutes, you kind of see what I was expecting, right? Like uh, they're off, excuse me, their defensive rating uh, with Chris Paul, Devin Booker together, it's like 114. 
if you take Booker off the floor, it actually goes down to 98, which is absolutely insane to me. Uh, but you yeah. see, you see it in flashes. You know, I think it, it, the Lakers game was a really good example. You know, they're playing pretty shorthanded. No AD, no Marcus Saul, obviously no Kyle Kuzma. The Lakers were going up and down the floor, and their offensive rating in that game was like in the range of 114. But they couldn't really stop them themselves. That they have been. I, I agree with that. They are one of the most surprising teams in the NBA. I could not agree more. All right, what is your third team in terms of surprising teams? I think I've kept track properly. What's your third team? My third team, um, I think that I have a few of these to choose from, but I have to. I'm going to go with the Jazz because I just I don't think you I don't think anybody could have saw this coming. I mean, they've really increased their pace this year, um, and you know the second in offensive rating right now. I mean, the defense was was always there, but for this team to be, I mean, they're basically Warriors esque at this point. <laughs> they're making 17 threes a game. Um, shooting 40, 45% of their um, attempts from behind the arc and making 40%. Um, and I think this team is just, they're just dangerous on a nightly basis that, you know, um, I know, man, you went head to head yesterday um, on the Sixers in the Jazz game. But I mean, I think that game was just an example of how this offense can just overwhelm even the best defenses in this league. So I think that they're just really surprising to me. So you, you think they have staying power? Like if we're talking Utah Jazz, I know we had this conversation on, on the clubhouse uh, that we the, mm-hmm. we did together the other day. Uh, but for the podcast audience, do you believe that the Utah Jazz have the sticking power that they can win an NBA title this year? I don't. Um, I think they're a great regular season team in vain of the you know Atlanta Hawks or the 2018 Toronto Raptors. I think they're a team that you want to bet on during a regular season. But, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, I think they have some flaws that I don't think they're going to be able to overcome some of the best teams in, in, the, in the West. Like, if you look against the Clippers, like, I, um, I actually took the Clippers the last time they played the Jazz. Yeah, and I think I think the big, the big key here is that they don't have the wings to match up with the Clippers. So... I, I mean, I love um, Bojan um, Bodanovic. I love Royce O'Neal. They're great role players, but they don't match up well with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, all the wings that the Clippers can throw at them. So I think the Clippers would be favored over them. The Lakers would be favored over them. And then I think you really have to question if they've actually be favored over the Nuggets at this point. Um, now, I know the Nuggets haven't played well. They've been hurt. They've been disappointing all year. But when push comes to su- shove, we've seen Jokic destroy Gobert. Yep. No, that's a really fair point. We saw him destroy him on that Sunday that we were referring to earlier. And to your point, you know, I put it really simplistically one day, but I was like, look, I think there is a reason why the Clippers, when they finally became fully healthy, they play one game together. It's against the red-hot Utah Jazz, and they beat them, right? Like, like the Jazz are great, but when you talk about a team like the Clippers, who are an enigma of themselves, um, I think that's a it's a really sound point in terms of the power. Look, they could find themselves in the Western Conference Finals if the bracket breaks properly beneath them because it looks like they're going to get the number one overall seed, but I do have my reservations as well. All right, so before we get you out of here, a couple more angles to get to. First off, uh, we I mentioned the Knicks, a team for me that I would be looking to play against. Uh, are there any teams that you have analyzed from a schedule standpoint, from a health standpoint, improvement standpoint, that uh, you think are worth either fading or following as we get into the second half of the season that the market will be a little slow on? I think I think Miami is already starting to improve, but I, I really like Miami. I think, you know, right now, I mean, they've, they've struggled. I mean, they've just like all the, the, the other three or four teams that were conference finalists minus the Lakers, they just had some issues coming out of the bubble. Um, and I, I think that the, some of that maybe was to be expected. Some of them it wasn't. But 
I mean, right now they're winning primarily on defense. They're um, eighth in defensive rating. They're holding teams to 110 points per 100 possessions. But the offense really hasn't come around. Um, and then when you look at some of the like the shooting numbers from all of their players have plummeted. I mean, Tyler Harrell has gone from a 38 percent three point shooter to a 35 percent three point shooter. Duncan Robinson has gone from 44.6 to 39.2 percent. Kelly Olenek has gone from a 40 percent three point shooter to a 31 yep. percent um, three point shooter. Jimmy Butler has gone from 24 percent to just 21 percent. You add in, you know, COVID um, protocol abscesses to Butler, Harrell, Dragic and Bradley. And you just had a team that just kind of struggled to find any um, footing or build any momentum. And then they're also turning the ball over. They're 29th in turnover percentage. And I think, you know, the shooting percentage will, will regress. The turnover percentage will regress. And the defense is still there. So I think they're a team that, I mean, they're going to make their way up the Eastern Conference. And they're going to be they're going to be dangerous. Yeah, I would uh, definitely agree with that. One of the topics we talked about last week, too, and I did bet them at 15-1 to win the Eastern Conference. I, I think that things are starting to turn around for them in, in a really big way. Uh, again, Raheem Palmer of the Action Network. Appreciate the time very much so. And one more time for people who are listening, where they can find you, uh, social media, and your work as well. Oh, um, thank you for having me on. Um, you can find me on social media on Twitter as D-J-R-T-O-D-A-I-Z-Z-A, or you can find my articles at theactionnetwork.com. Raheem, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it. This is the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. Interact with the show on Twitter at me, JVT, at Roach underscore 97, and at VSIN Live. Really excited to talk to our next guest. Uh, the Clippers have been, well, one, I'm a Clippers fan, so it's always good to tap into that. Nick, uh, our audio technician on the podcast, uh, is a Lakers fan, so he gets to sit through this. We can talk about how great the Clippers are and how much better they are than the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, Andrew Greif is with us. Greif like life, Clippers writer for the Los Angeles Times. Andrew, thank you for the time. So let's start with this, and I think this is a really loaded question that could probably go on for a really long time, but I'll ask it anyway. What to you? is the most perplexing thing about the Los Angeles Clippers this season? Mm. Um, I, there isn't a whole – well, I think the, the, most, the most perplexing thing it, to me is that they have four former first, you know, all-defense type players, and the defense has not played as well in terms of ratings as you might have expected. I think they're about 21st right now. Um, this night tonight. There's there's some there's some things that kind of make you scratch your head. Um, I think that just the overall uh, defensive numbers um, have, have been something that I was not expecting them to be this high. You know, in terms of the defensive rating or the ranking, um, that's something that was not I guess on my radar. When you look at okay, Serge Ibaka comes in. Yes, he's older, but you know he's a great rim protector still. Uh, you have Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. You know what can those guys do? Um, in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like the last two years of the team I covered, though, where they had great expectations going into the year for defense, being a top five type of unit in whatever metrics you might choose. And then it just never quite got there for a variety of reasons, injuries or, uh, you know, very little time together for lineups. Um, and some of that's been in play here, too. But um, I think that the defensive side of things, I know the offense right now, and late game offense is getting a lot of the attention, but. I think defense is where I want to see them um, kind of what they can do in the second half of the year. Yeah, and, you know, we I actually wrote about this uh, in our, our magazine this week. If you look at some of the tracking numbers for uh, the Clippers in terms of what the NBA offers, they're actually like a top team, Andrew, in terms of uh, 
very tight shots for opponents, so like within two feet. It sounds like they're getting there, right? Uh, but the shots keep going down because they're a bottom team in terms of shooting percentage on those shots. And I thought one of the greatest examples was that Memphis series that they just played last weekend, right? Whereas the back-to-back games, the first game, it seemed like every floater was going down in the face of almost every single Clippers defender. And then in the second game, they ratchet down a little bit more. The floaters aren't falling. What happens, they blow them out. And and I feel like I was vindicated because then you go to the Milwaukee game where we have all these questions, right? That's the topic. The Clippers defense, what's going on? And the Milwaukee Bucks average, you know, 1.09 in terms of points per possession, shoot 31% from beyond the arc. Like, I think, like, defensively, that is the Clippers team that, it, that we know, that we expected. That was the one that showed up on Sunday against the Bucks. You think I'm wrong? No. And, in fact, that, that sort of tracks with, I think, what the Clippers, um, what they hope for with this team is that, you know, come playoff time, that the focus rests down, they have more time together. That's the closer to that unit. But also Ty Lewis said that, it's kind of his M.O. going back to Cleveland not to reveal his whole hand before he has to. So, um, you know, there will be stuff that is shown um, come playoff time that we're not seeing right now. And that's both defensively and offensively. But they, they I think, hold uh, a significant amount of confidence that, we, you know, we're just kind of building what you've seen so far, although not necessarily consistent or all, the, all that pretty all the time. Um, it, there's more to be added later. And they, they feel like what the caliber of defenders they have on the team, that, that's kind of their ceiling. They can get to They feel confident they can get to that. Um, but right now, it's just sort of definitely kind of this uneven building process to get there. So I, I think the, it's funny. The, the Bucks game showed how good they can be defensively. But it's also shown a light, I think, on one of the glaring issues that I've had with this team. It was the final four minutes where they go scoreless, you know, over nine, over nine from the floor. Paul George, Quiet Leonard take all nine shots. All right, we know the stat that we were hearing ad nauseum after the game. So when we watch end of game execution, right, we, we can talk about Ty Lue not showing his hand. We can also talk about though, what our eyes show us. And that was a really disjointed effort at the end of that game against Milwaukee. So in terms of their fluidity on offense and, and how this offense operates, from an efficiency standpoint, they're extremely high. But I still see a team at times, Andrew, that kind of bogs down when it comes to running some half-court sets. What have you made of their offense overall and, and the complaints that the ball does stick at times that they're not as fluid as maybe the numbers would indicate? Yeah, that's a, your perspective, your takeaway is exactly Ty's perspective. He talked about the eye test versus the metrics, um, I would say now a week ago or two weeks ago, where he was asked about how much he, he thinks about advanced metrics or uses them. He said, yeah, I, ever since I left Cleveland, I, I look at them a lot more because that's the way the league is going. Um, but I trust my eyes, and he brought up the offense saying, every metric shows we're one of the top offenses in the league. That's good. But there's a lot of things that need to be worked on. And, and part of that is he says, you know, maybe a third of what he envisions the offense being loaded in um, is installed right now. You know, again, like, I'll be curious how much of that really does get installed by the end of the year. But he feels like they haven't shown their hand. Um, but I, I think that in some ways, kind of what you need to know about this team they already have shown, which is that, Kawhi and PG, the ball, you know, the, the ball is going to go through them. That's something that he had Tyler was made clear from the very beginning. He feels that the offense has to go through the best players, and it's the coach's job to get them to their best spot. Uh, against Boston, you know, when they struggled, I think they had one field goal in the last 243. Against Milwaukee, the aforementioned, you know, 0 for 4 minute stretch. Um, there, the common complaint there was that from Kawhi and PG and Tyler was that. They're, they're not having this right balance of getting into the offense quickly, um, but then, you know, finding the right shot. And, you know, if, against Boston, 
it was Paul George saying that, yeah, uh, he rushed several of his shots in the, in the final minutes, you know, against Kemba. He had a mismatch. What do you do? He settled for a three pointer. He could have taken him, you know, driven, maybe caused some rotations. That's how that's when the offense is best. As you know, since you're a Clippers fan, it's when they're making those hockey assists and, you know, the ball is swinging three times and then it gets to Nick Batum in the corner or Patrick Beverly. Um, but they never allowed that to happen. They never allowed those extra um, parts of the offense to develop. So how do you, how do you make sure that you're getting the best shot? Uh, well, make sure you're getting into your offense. Um, do, do they need a point guard? I don't really think they truly do because I don't know how realistic it is given their assets and their, their flexibility. But there's a, there's a lot of questions we worked out in terms of just how do you, like, as we've seen against Brooklyn when they ran a switching defense, as they ran saw against Boston with their switching defense, how do you not let the ball just kind of stick in your star's hands um, and just kind of dribble, 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 shoot? And now, Getting the ball in those guys' hands is what you want. You want those guys to be able to have the opportunity to create. But there's a fine line there, and they're trying to figure that out on the fly. So I want to expand really quickly on something you brought up in passing right there. Because I've been kind of adamant in that. I think they do need a point guard that would really help. Like, And I think, like, Andrew, in the make of, like, like a true north-south point guard, a guy who can really attack the rim, I think statistically, if you look right, they're not really a team that that gets within four feet of the basket very often. They're effective when they get there, uh, but they don't have a lot of guys who can attack off the bounce. But that's like that's like a picture-perfect scenario, right? Like, I want a north-south point guard who can facilitate and attack the rim at a high level, but there's not really that many guys available. <laughs> so, like, if expanding on that – do you think this team is done in terms of adding, in, in terms of buyout market, in terms of cheap prospects in the trade market? Because I, I keep looking for that potential point guard for them, and I can't find it. So as much as I think that they need one, to your point, I don't know if there is an option out there, whether it is the assets they have to acquire one or just one that fits the mold that they want. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like this team is this front office – as we know, they move in silence and they are extremely creative. So I would never, ever right. think that they are done. They're just okay. We this is the team we have, and we're, you know these are the constraints we have financially or drastic wise. And I guess we're done. I, that's not this team. You know that they they investigate every option. So I do think that there will be something, even if it's just around the margins, that gets done because that's the way this team operates. Um, the, the buyout market is tricky because there are so many teams that think they could have a chance to get in that 10 seed and, and thus potentially play their way into the playoffs that I don't know how many people are willing to parse with players that they otherwise might have in buyout. So that seems to be a little bit more murky. Like obviously they get Reggie Jackson last year out of that situation. Um, I, you know, I don't know, really know who will be available this year. Um, again, I think the things that I keep coming back to on the point guard, they, I think it would help to have somebody who can attack the rim better because you are right. This team is a mid-range shooting team. Uh, it's a three-point shooting team. That's their 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 success this year has, has been best around the arc. And Paul and Kawhi are probably the best, some of the best mid-range guys. So like those are the shot profile, as weird as it sounds, in the modern NBA. You kind of want for this team. Ty has said that, but they need more shots at the rim. This is the, they have the second fewest percentage of shots taken at the rim this year in the whole NBA. So you do want more downhill pressure, but who is that? You know, I, I, you know, can you get someone who is demonstrably better at doing that than Patrick Beverly is at his role or Lou Williams is at his role? Um, I think that's kind of a tough ask right now uh, for a variety of factors. So they're, 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 as you put it, as you scour the market yourself, it seems like they're in a tough position to find an obvious clear upgrade. Yeah. 
I mean, I would love for it to be Kyle Lowry, but that's <laughs> right. Like that would be impossible. I think Lowry would be a perfect fit for him, but uh, just the it, the logistics aren't there any way you look at it. And, and let me ask you this, because I think one of the things that has I think proven to be correct, at least in terms of when it comes to point guard, because I love Patrick Beverly, the fantastic defender. He's he's really good for what they do. Um, but one of their lineups, which has been sneaky, like one of the best lineups in the NBA, has just been when they simply switch Patrick Beverly. For Reggie Jackson, like cleaning the glass and they're like plus 39.8 uh, in those possessions. It's an extremely small sample size of 126. But like that, I think, gives you just the, the difference to me, at least, that what you're looking for in terms of a little bit more of a facilitator, a little bit more of a consistent attack off the dribble. Jackson kind of provides that. And I think it shows up a little bit in those numbers. But what have you made of that in terms of like Jackson and the effect of, hey, let's just put him in with the starting lineup. And we go from an offensive rating of 119.5 to 144.4. He's a guy who I think they wanted last year because they thought at his best he could do all of that. Like, you know, you need a point guard. Well, you have a big, he's a big body guard. He's six three, who's you know a good outside shooter, but he pushes their pace um, up a level that just isn't there when he's not on the court. And so that's, I think there's probably some hope that they already have that guy on their roster. Perhaps he needs someone to get downhill. Well, we have him. And Reggie can be inconsistent though. Um, you know, he can have his, his good days and his bad days, and so that's where sort of the trust comes in of how much do they trust a guy like that in potentially high leverage playoff minutes. Um, but his, his possibilities are still tantalizing even, you know, kind of 10 years into his career. So I, I think that there is a lot of probably hope that that, that could materialize as maybe the option, you know, he's, I think the, the, the best, if you're, if you are in that camp where you want Reggie to be that guy, the best thing you saw was when Pat Beverly was out this year, um, you know, around late January and missed that road trip, and Reggie Jackson stepped in and played excellent. Yep. And to the point where Ty Lue said, you know what, even when Pat comes back, like, we're going to have to find Reggie minutes. He'd earned it at that point. You could see the difference he had. I think it really worked well that he is best friends with Paul George. Like, those two guys know each other. Uh, they know how each other want to play, what to get each other in the best spot. So I think that's a factor that kind of helps him click with that starting unit. Um, defensively, he can be very inconsistent. But um, what you're hoping for, obviously, like you said, is to add that extra element, not just of another shooter, because Pat Beverly is a good shooter, but you need that guy who can really push it downhill and make people stay honest with, you know, keeping that interior defense. So we, I think this is a team that, you know, as we've spoken about, and I think rightfully so, uh, one of the top teams in terms of choices to win the NBA title this year. The, the biggest worry for me, outside of the point guard stuff, outside of the crunch time numbers, which uh, we discussed this week as well, uh, which aren't very good, but it's a short sample size, right? The negative 25.5 net rating in, in clutch situations for the Clippers. But when I look at this overall, how much does the bench worry you? Because cleaning the glass numbers don't paint a great picture. Kawhi and Paul George off the floor, negative 6.3. And again, limited sample size as well. But these times where they have gotten stagnant, where their defense has looked its worst, uh, it has been when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are off the floor but what is your breakdown of the bench, the issues that it has, and what you expect of it? Because there are some guys uh, that I think have been relatively disappointing. I think Luke Kennard gets a, a lot of the flack for, for solid reasons, but it hasn't been just him. Right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not last year's bench, at least the regular season last year's bench. Uh, in terms of the, 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 you could sit to your two superstars and raw, reliably expect to still be leading by the time you got them back in the game. Or if you were trailing when you know, Paul and Kawhi checked out, you might be leading anyway. Um, it's not that same type of offensive punch. I think that the more encouraging signs are that Lou Williams and Zubats are definitely in sync now. And that yeah. wasn't the case for probably the first four weeks. There's a lot of, kind of understanding you can tell 
where I need to be, where you need to be. They seem to be on the same page. Um, I think that they're not, uh, you know, Marcus Morris is, 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 if he can keep shooting like this, that's great. But I, I'm, I'm very interested that the bench doesn't seem to do all that well with Kawhi paired with them. You know, it's usually when Paul takes over with the bench for that first you know, five minutes of the second quarter, they usually do pretty well. Like there's, there's usually a lot to like about that. When Kawhi sits, gets in with them, um, it doesn't seem to run as well. Um, so if you are going to stagger your two stars, you know, how can you make it so that um, the units with the, the one superstar plus, you know, primarily four bench guys, how do you, how do you optimize both of those lineups, the Paul and Kawhi versions of that? Um, I, it's, I think that you would want, they would, they, obviously, they want Luke Kennard to be the guy who provides not only shooting but off-the-bounce creativity. That's why they wanted him over Landry Shamit because he could do more off-the-bounce, uh, at least or so we were told. Um, I think he has to turn a corner. Uh, I think physically he's fine. I think he just needs to get more confidence, uh, feel like he's trusted more from the staff and from the rest of, from the rest of the group that, you know, hey, I can contribute here. Uh, and he, if he turns a corner, I think you could see a lot of problems being solved. But um, it's... It's, it's, it's definitely weird to go from covering a team where you just expected the bench to be rock solid pretty much every single game to now you just it's, it's a little more like a good day or bad day. Yep. And for the audience, too, by the way, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George on the floor together, a plus 17.5 in terms of the net rating, take them both off a negative 6.3. So it gives you an idea of the value of these two guys and the issues that potentially this bench uh, could have. Again, Andrew Greif with us. Uh, Covers the Los Angeles Clippers, does a phenomenal job and a great follow on Twitter at Andrew Greif, G-R-E-I-F for the Los Angeles Times. Andrew, I appreciate some time today. Thank you very much, man. Of course. Hey, thanks for having me. And I'd love to come back on anytime. You got it. All right. We're going to have you on tomorrow. No, Uh, we record (laughs) once a week, but thanks, man. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. 